Shelter in Place exists today because our listeners have shared it with others. So we're trying something new. When you share Shelter in Place using our unique referral link, we'll give you gifts to show our gratitude. Each month, we'll also be recognizing our listener of the month. Check out the show notes for more information and go to refer.fm shelter to get started. Thanks for subscribing and helping us expand our community. This is Shelter in Place, a podcast about coming together in a world that pulls us apart. From Oakland, California to Hamilton, Massachusetts, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. All day and night, I heard sirens. I felt like people were dying all around me. And I live alone, so I was also terrified of dying. Because even though I'm young and healthy, I heard all these stories about people with COVID who felt okay until they were on death's door. And I felt like if that happened to me, I would just die. Because there's nobody else who lives with me who could call 911 for me. I would weigh fear of the vaccine with the very real consequences of getting COVID. I got the vaccine. My fear is not gone. But I don't lie awake at night anymore, worrying about dying alone in my apartment. I would choose that any day over the risk of getting COVID. So much of this past year has been marked by fear. But lately, I've been feeling more hopeful. In the last six weeks, new coronavirus infections have fallen by almost 70% nationwide. For the first time in a while, health professionals are making predictions that actually sound optimistic. They're talking about summertime, about returning to some sense of normalcy, about maybe even seeing the end of this pandemic. But beneath all of that optimism, there have been other conversations. When a pregnant friend who's an essential worker in hospitality decided to get the vaccine, she opted not to post it on social media because she'd already received criticism from some of her friends who were worried about the vaccine's safety. Others feel disgruntled that they aren't getting their shots first. Misinformation is so rampant today that it can be tough to decipher between truth and fiction. Our near constant consumption of information, combined with the daily grind of a very long pandemic year, has caught us in an exhausting cycle of suspicion, confusion, overwhelm, and fatigue. According to a new poll from the Associated Press, NORC, Center for Public Affairs Research, one in three Americans say that they definitely or probably won't get the COVID-19 vaccine. Among the top concerns are the speed at which the COVID-19 vaccine was developed, fear of side effects, and distrust of pharmaceuticals and the government. This poll is highly concerning, especially to the experts who say that vaccinations are necessary to reach herd immunity and end this pandemic. Over the past couple of months, our team at Shelter in Place has been talking a lot about vaccines for what we thought would be a single episode. We were interested in exploring vaccine hesitancy, not just because we're in the middle of a pandemic, but because it was becoming increasingly clear that the conversation was about more than medicine. Beneath our views on vaccination are bigger questions. Do we have the right information to make good decisions? Does that information match or contradict our personal experiences? Can we trust that the information we're getting is even true? These are the same questions that we ask in conversations about education or immigration or gun control or climate change. They tap into the values and experiences that matter most to us. Often, we let those questions guide us without even realizing how profoundly they affect us. 
Rather than tackle all of those questions at once, we're going to take them one at a time over the course of several upcoming episodes that explore why a third of our adult population feels hesitant about the COVID-19 vaccines, and also what questions are behind that skepticism. Today, we're going to tackle the first of those big questions. What information do we need to make good decisions? If you combine my extended family with my husband's, together we come from no less than 10 essential workers in medicine which is to say that I have no excuse for not being more knowledgeable when it comes to all things medical. Medicine was the background noise to my childhood, the conversation that floated down the hallway between my open door and my parents late at night, the topic of almost every dinner conversation. But maybe because medicine was always there, I often tuned it out. As an adult, I regret that sometimes like when I'm reading in the news about COVID-19 vaccine trials and realize that I don't actually know as much about that process as I thought I did. To help me close the gap in my understanding, I turned to someone who understands vaccines well. I'm Joyce Sanchez. I'm an infectious disease specialist, a physician, a mother of two beautiful children, a wife, and daughter of an epidemiologist and pharmacist. Joyce directs the travel clinic at Freydert and the Medical College of Wisconsin. Long before COVID-19, Joyce was anticipating this pandemic. Whenever there would be any sort of outbreak, Joyce and her colleagues would follow it closely so that they could give recommendations to any of their patients who had traveled internationally and may have been exposed. When we first heard about an unknown pneumonia in Wuhan, China, we were keeping tabs on that pretty closely. And then as things spread around Southeast Asia and eventually Italy and United States, it was something that I suppose as an infectious disease specialist, I was always preparing for, but never actually imagined that our world would be living through. So when it happened, it was surprising, but confirmation that what I'm doing is meaningful and can have a huge impact I love one of the statements made by the World Health Organization, or WHO, and I'll just quote them here. The two public health interventions that have had the greatest impact on the world's health are clean water and vaccines. I don't think anyone would argue that clean water is a good thing. And vaccines are up there on the list, too. Of all of the medical disciplines, when we talk about clean water and vaccines, those are the two biggest public health measures that have saved the greatest number of people in the past two centuries. I'm just so grateful to be part of a community that values that. What's happened has been life-changing, obviously, for everybody, but very validating for me in the field that I've chosen. Like me, Joyce grew up in a medical family. I know Joyce because she married my brother, who incidentally is also a doctor. But while I was tuning out conversations about medicine, Joyce was tuning in. I really have to credit my parents who fostered my interests and supported me every step along the way in my education, my training and career. My father has a career in infectious disease surveillance with the Department of Defense. His experience really opened my eyes to how cool infectious disease is. And I also have to credit my mother. She was a full-time working pharmacist. She managed to raise three kids. She juggled both of those roles beautifully while also prioritizing my father's career with frequent moves in the military. And every move, every time she halted her pharmaceutical degree, 
she used that as an opportunity to learn new skills and network. And by the time she retired, she was a national leader with the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. I interviewed Joyce's dad, Dr. Jose Sanchez, in season one, episode 76. And even though we were talking about COVID-19, somehow he made that conversation fun. Joyce has taken that heart into her own profession. Like her mom, Joyce has adapted quickly and become one of the nation's leading experts, quoted in publications like the Wall Street Journal and National Geographic. Until I met Joyce, I never understood the appeal of infectious disease. But learning that only clean water has done more than vaccines to improve our global public health has shifted my understanding. I think Joyce is right. Infectious disease is cool. It's an area of medicine where we've made a ton of exciting progress. I should say upfront that I am not hesitant about vaccines, but when I sat down with Joyce, I expected that Joyce would probably say they were pretty good, but there was still a lot to learn. What she told me was so much better than what I'd expected. When we think about evaluating safety, there are a couple of things that I like to talk to my patients about. The first is that clinical trials today are the most vigorous that we've seen in the history of medicine, certainly at least in the United States. We actually have a lot of data now. Back in the summer when we were going through phase one, two, three clinical trials, we didn't have a lot of data, but at least as of this recording, over 40 million people have been vaccinated, and that's just in the U.S., When we think about the globe, we're talking about more than 100 million people who have received at least one dose of the mRNA vaccines. And we're actually coming up on the one-year mark of when the very first person was enrolled in that phase one clinical trial. And over six months now, since the start of phase three clinical trial, phase three is basically thousands of people in a clinical trial who get either the vaccine or a placebo. So at least six to 12 months worth of time and data to look back at. There's been a lot of talk about these phase three clinical trials in the news. I trust Joyce when she says that those clinical trials are more vigorous today than ever before. But I also wanted to understand better what those trials actually look like. So we spoke to someone who had experienced them firsthand. My name is Garnet Henderson. I'm a professional dancer and a freelance journalist in New York. I participated in the Pfizer vaccine clinical trial. I'm a science journalist and a health nerd. I was really interested in this race to produce a vaccine, and I was particularly interested in the mRNA vaccines just because it's a whole new technology and it seemed really exciting to me. A quick note here about mRNA vaccines, also called messenger RNA vaccines. mRNA vaccines are a new type of vaccine, but researchers have been studying them for decades. Traditional vaccines put a weakened version of the disease into our body so that we build up antibodies to fight off that disease. But mRNA vaccines work differently. When we get that injection in our upper arm, that shot delivers a set of instructions Those instructions teach our cells how to make a harmless piece of protein called a spike protein that's found on the surface of the virus that causes COVID-19. That spike protein triggers our body to make antibodies. It's the same response that happens when we're actually infected by COVID-19, but this way we can make those antibodies without risking the serious consequences of getting COVID-19. 
As a science journalist, Garnett already knew about mRNA vaccines, so she was excited when she saw an opportunity to be part of a clinical trial that would test a new COVID-19 mRNA vaccine. I actually got a Facebook ad looking for participants to join what I later learned was the Pfizer clinical trial, which is an mRNA vaccine. I filled out the little survey and I kind of forgot about it. And then I got a call from Pfizer. And then once they determined that I was eligible, then I got a call from the actual test site. They went through another short questionnaire with me. And then I went in for the first appointment. That first appointment was back in mid-October, when predictions about vaccine approval were still cautious at best. Trials like the one that Garnet took part in have given us some really important data. But Garnet said that when she was participating in the trial, she got a lot of questions from people in her life who had concerns. I got a lot of questions from people, and people who aren't really skeptical of vaccines, a lot of questions that reflected to me the fact that most people just don't know that much about how vaccines work, and also that people don't know how clinical trials work, which is understandable because most people have never participated in a clinical trial. Like, I got lots of questions about, did I even know that it was a vaccine trial I was participating in? And I would explain to people, oh, oh, of course, you don't know whether you're getting the vaccine or the placebo, but you know everything else. At the first visit, the lead investigator of the study, the doctor who was running that test site, came in and sat down with me and went over all of it and asked me if I had any questions, any concerns. The informed consent process is very involved. They really make sure that they have all the information about any medications that you might be taking, any past bad reactions to vaccines, any chronic illnesses you have that they need to know about. Because I was an eligible candidate, I got an injection that day. But before they do the injections, they tested us all for COVID. There was a nasal swab. And then they also took a blood test, which they said was to establish our baseline antibodies. Because you know a lot of people, especially in New York, may have had or been exposed to COVID, even if they didn't know that they were sick. So they took everybody's blood to get a baseline level of antibodies so that they could compare it down the line. And then also a pregnancy test, because they didn't want anyone who was pregnant included in the study. Once they determined that I was not pregnant, I got an injection, but it's a double-blind study. That means that I didn't know for sure whether I was going to get the vaccine or the placebo, and neither did that nurse who was taking my medical history and doing the COVID test and the blood test. So they'd be in the room with you, and then they would put in an order on their computer that goes down to the hospital pharmacy. They use a computer program that just randomizes you to placebo or vaccine, and then the hospital pharmacist prepares your dose whatever that is, the vaccine or the placebo in the study was just saline. It was just like a shot of salt water in the arm. And then there is a nurse or nurse practitioner who's the one who injects you, and that person does know. So it's a different person who comes and gives you the injection. And then they had us wait for 30 minutes afterward. They do that to monitor just in case anybody does have a serious reaction. And then you leave. And I came back three weeks later and essentially did the same thing again for the second dose. Garnet's second dose was in early November, more than a month before the FDA would approve the first COVID-19 vaccine. I think it's really cool that I got to see what a clinical trial looks like from the inside. 
when I was getting my second dose, the woman who came into the room with the needle, I was like, so I'm not trying to get you to tell me, <laughs> but like, do you know whether you're giving me the vaccine or the placebo? And she said, yes, I, I do know. But then that person doesn't interact with you in any other way. So they don't know anything about you or your medical history. It's all kept separate so that no one can accidentally reveal to you and therefore influence your experience, whether you're getting the vaccine or the placebo. It definitely was my first experience participating in a clinical trial. I took a few psychology classes when I was in college, and so I had participated in some scientific studies that did have a similar double-blind structure. This might sound kind of simplistic, but my first impression of the whole thing was that they were just incredibly organized. I'm certainly no great fan of pharmaceutical companies, but I was like, wow, I really can tell that Pfizer just does this all the time. And that did make me feel good because they clearly had this whole apparatus in place. I found this incredibly helpful to pull back the curtain on this process and hear from someone who'd actually experienced it, not as a doctor, but as a trial participant. And Garnett said that the smooth running of that Pfizer machine didn't stop when she got her second shot. Another part of the study is that we report any COVID symptoms or positive COVID test results every week. And there's an app. So you just download this app and then it prompts you every week, hey, fill in your diary. This was something Joyce talked about as well, not just for trial participants, but for anyone who gets the vaccine. There's a very robust reporting system for adverse effects. For those who do get the vaccine, as long as you're plugged into some kind of internet where you can get notifications to report your symptoms, that has actually been scrutinized very rigorously and very regularly by entities that are outside of pharmaceutical companies. Entities like the American College of Immunization Practices and the FDA are looking at these and making sure that there's no signal for something that is going to be consequential and may pause us from continuing to administer vaccines. The CDC recently published a report looking at the early safety monitoring findings. And as far as serious allergic reactions, which is the biggest concern for most people, it's exceedingly rare. We're talking about 11 cases per million. So that's very, very, very low. And when we think about general vaccines like tetanus or flu, historically that ballpark is in the one to a million doses that there's a severe adverse reaction. So really good promising statistics here. And again, over 100 million doses of these vaccines. Garnet said that she did experience side effects, side effects that we now know are common, but that they didn't last for long. I had a pretty strong reaction to the second dose, so I kind of knew that I had gotten the vaccine even before I was officially unblinded. And it wasn't anything bad or scary, it was just the side effects that I think everybody is now aware are really common with the second dose of both the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. I felt really tired. My body was really achy. I didn't actually run a fever, but I kind of had the chills. I was having trouble sleeping. 
And then the day after I got the second dose, my injection site was red and swollen and my lymph nodes were a little bit swollen in my neck on that side. So that's how I kind of knew that it probably was not my imagination. It probably was not the placebo effect. I probably got the real thing. And I do think that Pfizer and Moderna both have done a decent job of communicating this, that there are side effects that are associated with these vaccines that are a bit stronger than what most of us are used to from other adult vaccines. I'll be right back with more of this story right after this short break. I don't know about you, but I'm finding that it's the little things that go a long way lately. Like when someone sends you a really nice text, or when you hear that song that you love that you forgot about, or when an ordinary dinner becomes special with a really great glass of wine. Which is why I am so excited to tell you about our sponsor, Delta Wines, who can deliver wine right to your front door. Delta means change, and Delta wines were born out of a desire to make a difference and protect our planet. For every bottle of wine you buy, they'll donate a dollar to partner companies who are cleaning up our oceans and reducing CO2 emissions. Best of all, their wines are affordable and delicious. Go to winesforchange.com and use the code SHELTER to get 10% off your order and support this show. If you've been following Shelter in Place, then you know that the story behind these episodes is a pandemic odyssey that my family and I have been on since September, when wildfires and the challenges of pandemic parenting launched us from our home in Oakland across the country to Massachusetts so we could get help from extended family. Many times along that journey, we've wished that we could predict the future, or that at the very least, know the end point of this pandemic. In the original Odyssey, Odysseus has those moments too. About halfway through the story, this desire to predict the future and find their way home brings Odysseus and his men to the underworld, the land of the dead. What they're doing is new. No living human has ever been there before. Their walk among the dead brings them to the dead prophet Tiresias, who can foretell the future and help them get back home. As if walking among a bunch of dead people weren't scary enough, the only way to get Tiresias to talk to them is to sacrifice some sheep, spill their blood on the ground with milk, honey, wine, and barley, all the while promising the dead spirits that once he gets back to Ithaca, Odysseus will do another animal sacrifice to honor Tiresias. It's a gruesome scene that involves lapping up blood. I have to say I'm glad that we no longer live in a time when animal sacrifices were the norm. But this pandemic has, at times, felt like visiting the underworld. It's been scary. I imagine our scientists and doctors have wished many times that they could tell the future. Many have died along the way. But thanks to the clinical trials like the one Garnet participated in, those numbers of deaths have fallen dramatically. There's a real hope that someday soon, the only blood spilled over this vaccine will be a tiny dot at the site of the injection, a wound so small that it can be covered with a Band-Aid. When the Pfizer vaccine was approved in December, Garnet already knew that she'd probably gotten the real thing and not the placebo, but knowing that didn't prepare her for how she would feel when the vaccine was approved. I actually <laughs> cried. It sort of surprised me, when they first released the efficacy data for the vaccine, I just started crying. I live in New York City, and it was absolutely terrifying to live here in late March and early April. There's a hospital right up the street from me. 
All day and night, I heard sirens. I felt like people were dying all around me. And I live alone, so I was also terrified of dying. Because even though I'm young and healthy, I heard all these stories about people with COVID who felt okay until they were on death's door. And I felt like if that happened to me, I would just die. Because there's nobody else who lives with me who could call 911 for me or help me get to the hospital or even to the urgent care that's a block away. As a young, overall very healthy person, I'm low priority in so many ways. I'm low priority for vaccination. If I had gotten COVID, I probably would have survived. And so that's part of what made me feel like I really should participate because I can. And I felt like I'm a safe test subject. I trusted the science, but I also felt like if it turns out that there is some kind of complication that can result from having this vaccine, I'll probably be fine. They need to test a vaccine like that in as wide an array of people as possible. I participated in the trial out of curiosity and because I felt like it was something that I could do. So it did make me really emotional when that turned out not just to be an effective vaccine, but to be like the vaccine, the first one that got approved. I just I had no idea when I signed up for the trial that that's what was going to happen. Joyce had a similar reaction. She'd hoped that some of the trial vaccines would be effective, but the results far surpassed her expectations. Many of us in the medical community were frankly holding our breath for phase three clinical trial data to come out in regards to safety and efficacy because these had not been used on a global scale before. When that came out and we saw this glimmer of hope with really, really good efficacy, that was one thing that surprised me because most of our vaccine performances, when we think about flu vaccine, batting average is maybe 40 to 60 percent, which is still something better than zero, but not the best when we think about vaccines. And when you hear 94 or 95 percent effective, that is just amazing. And that's where I saw a glimmer of hope when we think about how do we get over this pandemic. I just want to pause here to make sure that you got that. 94 to 95% effective. When you look at our most common vaccines, tetanus, polio, MMR, most of them are somewhere between 93% and 100. Even in this early stage, our currently approved COVID vaccines have numbers almost as good as some of the most effective vaccines ever made. I found this fascinating that the numbers were so much higher than I'd realized. Most of us don't worry about the efficacy of vaccines like polio. We take it for granted that that disease is behind us. Hearing that we're in a similar place with these COVID vaccines now is the first time in a long time that I've felt hopeful that the end of the pandemic is coming. I asked Joyce if it was reasonable to think that we'd return to some sense of normalcy or if we should brace ourselves for more of the same in years to come for future pandemics. Well, that's a million dollar question. If we look at the past 30 years, about every 10 years has been the average where we had SARS and then we had MERS and then we have this, It's it's been 10 years. So we'll see, is it gonna be every 10 years where we get some major new strain? Maybe, but who knows? 
And then we have flu. So are there times where we may be dealing with two pandemics? That was a big question last spring. Are we going to deal with flu? And interestingly, all of the measures that we've taken to help protect ourselves against COVID has really protected us against flu. So we didn't have to deal with two pandemics, which is great. I've been surprised at every point in this pandemic, surprised for the worse and surprised for the better. But there's a lot to be hopeful for. The drops in the number of cases, at least in the U.S., the number of hospitalizations, the number of deaths. And this is happening at the height of freezing weather, at the height of people being indoors, at the height of the winter blues post-holidays. The fact that we're seeing this drop is amazing to me. This is the time where flu season really runs rampant. It's January, February. That's where we see big flu spikes traditionally and that we're not seeing that. We're not seeing COVID continue to rise. It gives me hope that people are getting immune. People are getting vaccinated. And while the distribution process hasn't been perfect, at least the needle is moving forward. I hope that's a motivator for people to say yes when it becomes available for them to receive the vaccine. One of the fears that's commonly voiced right now is about how effective the vaccines are against variants of the virus. Joy said that these variants are not a surprise and that this is an area where the mRNA vaccines give us a huge advantage since they can be produced in a lab quickly and in large quantities. That is something that we expected from day one. That's what viruses do. It's normal for them as they replicate, there'll be certain mistakes that happen and that's just by chance. And occasionally there is a mutant where it gives it an advantage may be more infectious, as is the case with some of these variants of concern that have come from the UK or South Africa, Brazil. That's where we really want to ensure that our current measures, our current vaccines, our current therapies are still able to do what they should be doing. These mutations have caused them to be more contagious. So if one person gets infected with one of these variants, they're more likely to spread it to more people than the former variant. What's promising is that our immune systems are really amazing. They form these antibodies and it's a rich population of antibodies. It's not just one clone of antibody. And even with variants, a lot of the lab data, as well as some of the population data, show that these vaccines that we're using, even if they were not formulated for these variants initially, the immune systems that people mount are so rich that they can still recognize and neutralize and reduce the severity of disease and reduce the hospitalizations and reduce the deaths. We're keeping a very close eye on variants as they come up. These won't be the last variants. As long as this virus is multiplying and spreading, there are opportunities for more variants to come up. But thankfully, so far, we haven't seen anything that has caused us concern for these variants to escape protection from the currently available vaccines. That might change. I hope it won't. But if it does change, then we are in a position where these currently available vaccines can be manufactured very quickly. If you get the genome, you can manufacture the vaccine in a lab with these platforms. It doesn't take months like influenza vaccine where you have to grow virus. These are vaccines that can be manufactured quickly. So that's one advantage of these platforms. 
if it takes getting a booster in a couple of years or the development of a future iterations of coronavirus vaccines that may incorporate more than one strain. And thankfully, some of the efforts that are being done now, both uh, by the FDA and the pharmaceutical companies that are manufacturing vaccines, they're interested in knowing if this is going to be something that is long lasting and if we have to evolve and make new formulations. Time will tell. Garnet says that getting vaccinated hasn't taken away all of her fears. She's still being careful, wearing a mask, social distancing, trying to be smart. But the vaccine has given her something that has been on short supply in this pandemic. It's restored her hope. Which is something that I had kind of forgotten how to feel. My fear is not gone, but I don't lie awake at night anymore worrying about dying alone in my apartment. (laughs) Even though the vaccine is approved, they still are following us for two years because now they're turning to new questions like, does the vaccine prevent asymptomatic transmission and how long does the immunity last? That's another thing that I hope will reassure people, that it's not that they developed this vaccine really fast, got it approved, and then bailed. The study is still ongoing. If I were to have any problems, I have an on-call number for a doctor with the study to call. They're very much still involved with us and monitoring us. I would encourage people to weigh their potential fear of the vaccine with the very real consequences of getting COVID or giving COVID to someone else so that even if you live, they might die. I would encourage people to weigh those two things against each other. And at least to me, the potential risks of the vaccine, which we know are incredibly low, I would choose that any day over the risk of getting COVID. I understand people not having faith in institutions, pharmaceutical companies, and our government. I don't think Pfizer is a good company. I don't really trust them either. What I do trust is the doctors and the other scientists and the nurses and the medical assistants and the administrators who were working at my test site and who were working so incredibly hard to save lives. I chatted with the people when I was there. A lot of the nurses in particular were people who worked on the front lines in the spring in New York, and then they went to work at this vaccine test site. I trust them and I trust their work and I trust that they wouldn't have been involved with the trial and the development of the vaccine if they didn't believe that it was safe and effective. You see so much about the fear and the what ifs and you just don't see as much of the excitement and the joy that comes along with just reveling in the fact that Humanity did an incredible thing. We created multiple effective vaccines for a new disease in less than a year. That's amazing. That's something to be really excited about and not to fear. These vaccines were built on decades of work that were done by scientists who have nothing to do with any of these pharmaceutical companies who worked on this stuff for decades when their research was terribly underfunded and it might not ever have been used were it not for this horrible pandemic. I have trust in them and so where I don't trust institutions, I try to look for the people that I can put my faith in. We talk a lot at Shelter in Place about transforming communities by transforming ourselves. Garnet transformed herself in a very tangible way. She took part in a clinical trial that had the potential to end the pandemic. 
that ended up being one of the most hopeful moments of progress in the history of vaccination. As is often the case, there was risk involved. It could have gone wrong. But without people like Garnet, we wouldn't be where we are today. We'll hear from Garnet and Joyce more in future episodes, but in the meantime, I want to end this episode with an invitation. For better or worse, the decisions that we make for ourselves and our families do have an impact on our communities. We are interconnected, whether or not we want to be. Sometimes that interconnectedness can feel like a burden. It can feel overwhelming, but ultimately, it's a gift. What if the question we're asking ourselves weren't what's best for ourselves and our families, but what's best for our community, for our country, for our world? The answer to that question might just give us what we need to face the long months that are still ahead. They might just help us to push past the fear of these trials and tribulations and instead find our way to being able to celebrate the good and hopeful things that are happening all around us. As always, if you listen to the very end of the episode, you can hear shelter-in-place outtakes. But first, if you haven't yet taken our listener survey, we'd love to hear from you. Your advice and feedback will help us with everything from creating future episodes to talking to potential sponsors. Find the link in the show notes or on our website, shelterinplacepodcast.info. If you'd like to support the good things happening here, including our apprenticeship program where we're training the next generation of women podcasters, you can find information on how to donate to Shelter in Place on our website. If you'd like to help but can't donate, asking your friends and loved ones to subscribe to Shelter in Place helps Herdat Media to find us sponsors and expands our community. Check out our new referral program where we send you gifts when you get your friends to subscribe. You can find that at refer fm shelter. Shelter in Place is part of the Herd at Media Network. The Shelter in Place music was created by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions. Additional music and sound effects for this episode come from Storyblocks. Alana Herlins was our associate editor for this episode. Isabel Obrecht was our assistant producer. And Melissa Lent was our assistant audio editor. Nate Davis is our creative director. Sarah Edgel is our design director. And our amazing season two apprentices are Sarai Waters, Winnie She, Alana Herlins, Eve Bishop, Gabby Morozowski, Isabel Obrecht, and Melissa Lent. Until next time, this is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis. And now if you're still listening, here's a little outtake. Okay, go. So we are getting the vaccine soon, and whenever we get the vaccine, it's going to be a shot. What do you think about the vaccine? Everyone needs to get it, including kids, and I don't think it'll be until the fall. At least that's what mommy thinks before we get the vaccine. What do you think about the side effects? Yeah, I mean, like, mommy, she had side effects, so... Who had the worst side effects? It was daddy. Who had the easiest time of it? I think it was grandpa. Grandpa? Yeah. I thought Grandina was pretty Um, tough. Grandmarie. Grandmarie gets a dose two tomorrow. Yep. What are you going to be when you grow up? A doctor. What are you going to be when you grow up? I want to be a doctor. What kind of doctor? A vet. What kind of vet? An animal vet.
What kind of organ system in the animal are you going to operate on? Um, it's ears. The ears? You're going to be ear, nose, throat, or just ears only? You're going to be a super specialist? Just the ears. Mm. What kind of animals are you going to treat? Owls, foxes, birds, ducks, and cats, and dogs, and wolves. What do you think about mommy's job? It's good. You want to elaborate? Mommy's job is good. A Huda Media Production.